move specifically, continuing in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 14 and verse 15. And this morning as we move into verse 16, I want to use this as an opportunity before we move on to kind of recap everywhere we've been, try to put it all together because it's a, me and Jim spoke briefly last Sunday night, man, there is a lot going on here. And try to put that all back together in our minds, especially because after last week I had a couple people go, I think I might have understood sort of part of what you're talking about. So let's kind of put all that back together and then move into what this looks like in action. This morning, the light of the world, part three, and we're going to look at all three verses here in Matthew chapter five, verses 14 through 16. Now just to kind of get us all back on the same page in the big picture, this is all part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus Christ comes at the beginning of his ministry preaching the radical message of the gospel of the kingdom, a gospel that will endure even till the very end, the good news, if you will, of the kingdom that the king reigns and that his reign is being manifested in the midst of his people and not apart from them. It is a testimony of hope that will bring both salvation and persecution. It will bless you, and it will make you a blessing to others. You're blessed in Christ. And having been blessed, Christ doesn't leave us as a trophy to put on a shelf, but instead employs us in being a similar blessing to others, both the salt of the earth in preserving this world until the day of appointed judgment, and more recently, as being the light of the world, a testimony, a testimony of salvation to those who accept the light and come to it, and a testimony of indictment against those that reject it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. When it comes to saints being the light of the world, because if you're familiar with this scripture, and you're familiar with the scriptures as a whole, it should be a little bit surprising to you. When it comes to saints being called the light of the world, in reality, we have seen that we are the light of the world by extension. That is to say that we are not the origin of the light. Instead, if you want to use all capital letters, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says that Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light. This is the ego eme. This is the deity statement, the same statement that was made to Moses on the side of Mount Sinai when he said, I am who I am. And Jesus says, one of the things I am is I am the light of the world. And furthermore, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the saints can rightly be called the light of the world because Christ is in his people. He did not abandon us, but he sent the Holy Spirit, his spirit, that is the regenerating, indwelling, and empowering reality of the kingdom of heaven in this world today. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, Paul writes and says that God chose to make known 
How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, this mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, we are the light of the world today as individual saints and as the body at Mount Zion by extension, because Christ, the light of the world, the eternal light, he is in his people. Being the light of the world is a big deal. And if the way you become it is by the eternal God indwelling you, then we should have suspicion from beginning that it was a big deal. Being the light of the world is a big deal. For the light of the world is nothing less than the life of Jesus Christ himself. That life that is part and partial to his being and his character. It speaks directly to his deity. It is eternal and holy in nature. This is all John chapter 1 stuff from three weeks ago. It is eternal. It is holy. It is infinite in nature. Jesus doesn't, he's not going to run out of life no matter how much he gives away. He never has less than he had the moment before. The light of the world is the life of Christ coming from Christ himself and being projected into the world so that life exists both in the natural creation, in the birds and the fish and the plants and the bacteria and the funguses, and in little boys and little girls and men and women. So it exists in the natural creation, but then also exists as eternal life in the new creation. This is what the light of the world in Jesus Christ is. It is his life being projected into the world. It's what John writes about in John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4 when he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life There's your definitive statement. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So you need to understand, when we talk about the light of the world, we're not talking about something that is apart from Christ. We're talking about the eternal life that is in Jesus Christ that's then being shown as light into what would otherwise be a dark and dead creation. Anybody ask you, what is the light of the world? The light of the world is the life of Jesus Christ projected into the creation. It has a very particular nature. As we began to look in earnest last week with verse 15. Now 14 and 15. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to the whole house. Here in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two facets of the nature of the light of the world. And the first is this. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden because the light is his life and is therefore a function of his deity. This is not the life of a human this is the, or the life of an angel. This is the life of God. And because that's what it is, it is invincible in its nature. It will shine, and it will have the effect that the one who sent it to shine desires for it to have. 
Friends, when it comes to the light of this world that is the life of Jesus Christ, it is a juggernaut that cannot be stopped. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, or as the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I would have you note, now I know we're going to get to application here at the end with verse 16, but just as a reminder, I would have you note that the fact that the city on the hill cannot be hidden, not just that it will not be hidden or it shouldn't be hidden, but it cannot be hidden should give you incredible boldness in your witnessing. Man, it will accomplish that for which it was sent. It will, it will do what the Lord sent it for. It will save people. It will indict people. Sometimes it will be accepted with joy and sometimes it will be rejected violently. And sometimes, just sometimes, after being rejected violently for years, it will be accepted with joy. But it will do what it's supposed to do. Man, if you go out and share the gospel, you have been successful. You know, today we want to count numbers so bad it's part and parcel to being a human being. That This is how we kind of keep score, and so we're very concerned. And don't get me wrong, nothing makes you happier than seeing a lot of people saved. But, you know, the Puritans of a previous era, often more astute in their scholarship generally across the board than we are today. Not, uh, maybe you're really on top of your stuff. I'm not saying that about you individually. Just generally kind of speaking as a church culture, they were definitely more on their game. Man, they measured the success of they, they they measured the success of an evangelistic meeting based on whether or not the gospel was proclaimed. And if it was proclaimed, they said it was successful. Whether a hundred people believed or whether nobody believed. And I would remind you that these were the men that laid the found the doctrinal foundation for what was the Great Awakening. But before the Great Awakening came, they preached a bunch and saw next to nothing. It cannot be hidden. It is invincible. It makes you bold. It makes you unstoppable. But when you consider that, and you consider it from the point of view of someone who is the light of the world, you have to kind of ask the question, well, why in the world would you want to stop it anyway? Or why even would you want to slow it down? And the answer is that you shouldn't. And you wouldn't. Especially if you understand two things what it is accomplishing, and how it is being accomplished. If you understand what the light of the world really does and how it works, what the light of the world does is glorious. It is glorious. And I mean that in a literal way, but before we get there, I just want to say this. We know that the creation testifies to the creator. The creation testifies to the creator. This is true both generally and for our purposes today, specifically as it concerns the light of the world. Generally speaking, in Romans chapter 1, we looked at this last week, it says that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So in everything that's been made, it in some way tells the story of the creator who made it. 
You start hanging around with craftsmen very long, and this is something that you will understand very clearly. My dad can pick up a custom pistol and look at it for about 30 seconds, and if it's anybody of note around here, he can tell you who made it, for good or bad. The guys that build houses are the same way. Who built this house? So-and-so. And they'll either go, yeah, that's about right, or oh, yeah, that's about right. Right? This is, man, this is the nature of craftsmanship. The, 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 the creation testifies to the glory of the creator. The thing is, is what Paul is talking about in Romans is that because of the intentional, sinful darkening of the mind of men, they have rejected that knowledge and it spirals into a very unfortunate, self-enforcing, repetitive situation that ultimately ends in their destruction if the Lord does not intervene. And so where we find ourselves kind of with that general statement about the creation is, yes, we can say that, but we cannot say it to the extent that we understand it well enough that it brings us anywhere near salvation. As a matter of fact, Paul's final analysis in Romans chapter 1 is that men are so evil when they view the glory of God in creation, what they do is they ultimately use it to figure out how to build a more convincing idol. Now that's crazy. And it's crazy because sin's crazy. But where it leaves us, even as Christians, in the practicum of looking at a general statement about the world is we often find ourselves wondering, man, something in this thing testifies to the glory of God, but I wonder what it is. Now some things are clear. we got a full solar eclipse coming to our area here in about a year or so. Man, I, I'm super stoked about that. I was the dorky kid that, that was out on in front of Dad's shop with two sets of welding goggles every time one would even get close as a kid. I, man, I've never seen one. I can't wait. I sure hope it's a sunny day. Now, you can look at that, and it's pretty easy to come up with some ideas about how that bears glory to God. But how does the pink scum that grows around the base of, of, your, of your bathroom sink, how does it? I don't have that anymore. I'm married. I used to have it sometimes. How does that bring glory to God? I don't know. I could speculate. They'd probably start to be pretty wild speculations pretty quick because I find that stuff to be particularly disgusting. But somehow it brings glory to God. We don't know how. That's not the way it works with the light of the world. Because Scripture tells us Specifically, the way that light in this creation is testifying to the light that is the life of Christ. God built it this way on purpose. There's only a couple of things he tells this about. He tells us about how it works with ordained marriage in testifying to his church and, and his son, the bridegroom and the bride. He tells us how it applies to, to parents and children with the relationship that between, exists between us as the child and him as the father. He tells us about how the relationship exists with light. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to spend some time there um, as, as we really dig in today. But just for now, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, For God, and not just any God, but specifically the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Quoting from Genesis chapter 1. The Creator 
who is testified to in the creation. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This God that is shining, this one who is the light of the world, is shining into your hearts something that you know. And this is important because it has everything to do with glory. Something that you know, something that you recognize, something that you can respond to, and that specifically is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light that you have shining through these windows right now is testifying, according to Paul, to the manner in which the glory of God is shown into your heart. And so last week, I think this is where we might have lost a few of you. Let's talk about the, the glorious nature of natural light. And it's not nearly as glorious as the light of the world. But it testifies to it, Paul says. You know, life couldn't exist without light. And you could talk about all the different ways that that, that occurs. If the interactions that produce light didn't exist in the universe, the universe wouldn't exist. But specifically for men... What light does is it lets us see. It it, it is the thing that God has ordained to take information that exists apart from us and transmit it through our eyeball, down our optic nerve, into our brain. And so that we have knowledge of something that is existing apart from me and apart from you. Light is a fascinating thing. It's both a particle and a wave simultaneously. It's not one or the other, which is the only thing that lets it do what it does. This world is full of radiation. You're bathed in it all the time. That which is coming from the sun, that which is coming from your cell phone, cosmic radiation that is entering this planet from outside of of our galaxy, what's coming from the radio towers, What's coming from your microwave? It's all one of two types. It's all particle radiation, like little bullets flying around, or it's wave radiation, like x-rays. And it all does very specific things, but none of it can do what light does. And the only reason light works the way it works is because it's not sometimes one and sometimes the other. It's both all the time. And because of that, because it has properties of a wave and the finite properties of a particle... You can see. We said last week, and this is a crazy statement, but it's true. You've never seen an object in your life. You've never seen one. What you see is the light that bounces off of it and conveys the information about that object to you. And it's so critically important for human beings that one of the last things you would ever want is for your child to be born blind. It's critical. It's critical. Friends, I love music, but give me deaf over blind any day. And the thing about the light that lets you see what you otherwise can't see, it's completely unique. As humans, we try to do this with with other waveforms. As a matter of fact, me and Sarah went the other day, and uh, we we went to the doctor and... and, uh, 
Uh, we weren't scheduled for an ultrasound. You know, they'd already done the big one where you go in the room with all the screens and that kind of stuff. We'd done all that. We weren't scheduled for one. This is just kind of one of the checkup deals. We go in there. It's like Star Trek these days. Old gal whips out the tricorder out of her pocket and literally has a handheld ultrasound machine that is no bigger than a cell phone. There it is. Heart beating is great. It's awesome. Now, even these fancy new high-definition ultrasound machines, when you look at those pictures... They look nothing like what you see with your own eye when you see that child. And the reason they don't is because they're trying to use sound waves to do light's job. And it'll never work. It'll never work. God engineered light to be what it is specifically to do what it does, and it's the only thing that can do it. If you want to know what the glory of a sunset looks like, the only thing that will supply that is the transmission of light. If you want to be able to see the look on, on your spouse's face when they walk down the aisle, the only thing that will transmit that to you is light. It's the only way you can know it. It's the only way you can acknowledge it. Light is unique. And such is the nature of natural light and such is the nature of the supernatural light of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, in verse 1, and I, I love this. We'll keep going back to it. We'll just look at 14 and 18 because this is, a, you know, this is a review. In verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've seen this. This one who is the light of the world, who, who he just said a couple of verses ago, this light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We've seen it. And here's what it does. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Friends, I would propose to you that since the creation testifies to the creator and specifically light is testifying to the life of Jesus Christ shining into this world. The reason God made light unique is because it is testifying to something that is absolutely unique. There is none else like him. There is none that can do what he does. There is none that can show you who the Father is apart from Him. Jesus is completely unique in this manner. Completely unique. Man, you take these wishy-washy preachers and you start pushing them on the nature of salvation. And you start pushing them as to whether or not there is any possibility that a good enough person that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ could possibly come to salvation and could possibly find themselves standing in favor before the Father. And they go, well, yeah, maybe if you'd never heard and you were good enough friends. I'm like, what Bible are you reading? And what are you doing to the nature of the urgency for evangelism when you say that? Because if they could, then maybe what we ought to do is keep them all ignorant of the gospel. Keep it secret. But the reality is this, the reason that light is unique in this universe is because God made it that way to show you who his son is who is completely unique. And he is doing something that only he can do. He's showing you the father that otherwise would be separate and apart from you 
And you would find yourself, as Paul says to the Ephesians, without God and without a hope in this world. Jesus is completely unique. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. None. None. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter will testify that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the nature of the light. And so this morning... In verse 16, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. After saying, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives life to all the house. Then the Lord says this, in the same way, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In the same way, that they may give glory. The word is the same word that Paul used back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, when he made the statement that for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the same glory that is spoken of about Christ's life being the light in John chapter 1, when it says, we have seen his glory. You see, seeing such glory is necessary for salvation. And it is what the light is doing. It is transmitting information about God. It is showing you who God is that you could otherwise not see. But it is a transmission of information that has a specific end in mind. It's not a light that's shining just to be shining. It's a light that's shining so that we may receive into our hearts the knowledge of the glory of God. Doxa, glory, means not only for something to be excellent, but for you to be able to think and understand that it's excellent. So if we talk about the glory of God, we're not just talking about the fact that God is excellent. We're talking about the fact that that is being transmitted to us in such a way that we can recognize it. So when it says in John chapter 1 that we have seen his glory, the one who is the light of the world, that shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome, we have seen that glory full of grace and truth. And he has made an unknowable God knowable. That is not without particular intention. That is to say, Jesus doesn't do that so that you can then look at the information and go, huh, now I have the information. He didn't do that so that you could receive the information about who God is and then weigh it in the scales and decide if God is excellent or not. 
He did it. Specifically. So that when his people saw it, they would in agreement say, yes, he is good. Now that, that's a big deal. It's one thing to say, hey, listen, you're the light of the world. Go out there and be the light of the world. Okie dokie, right? It's another thing to say, listen, the light of the world is the holy and infinite life of God himself shining into you because God's intention for you as his people is to see something you could not see that is not only excellent, but the only truly excellent thing in existence and the only excellent thing worth knowing. He did this out of his heart, literally out of the goodness of his heart, so that you could see that he was good, be in agreement and then come to Him in salvation. This is the nature of the light of Christ. Man, and it's something you want to see. Something you want to see. If you don't believe it, you should, I'll let you do it in your own time. I'm running out of time this morning. There's still a lot to talk about. But you can go and you can look in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 26 through 28. And you can see what is recorded as the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. That's the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And it is mind-blowing. It is mind-blowing. Why wouldn't you want to see it? Of course you want to see it. So when you, when you recognize that, all of a sudden, hey, listen, you're the light of the world. Go out and be the light. Go shine your light. Is not nearly the cliche that it is often taken as. It's saying go out and be the life of Christ shining into someone to the extent that they can recognize his excellence, be in agreement, and so be saved. It's a big deal. So here's how you do it. In the same way. This is what, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. In the same way. Let your light shine before others. Well, what does he mean by in the same way? Well, the direct context would tell us very clearly. First of all, it's invincible. The city on the hill cannot be hidden. So go out and shine invincibly. You're like, man, you're not making the load any lighter here. Now it's go be the life of Christ that brings about salvation and do so like a juggernaut. Secondly, by desire. The desire of a lampstand. Nobody ever lights a lamp, puts it under a basket. I used to, <laughs> I had a habit as a, a young man of uh, not turning off all the lights when I left the house. My dad was never impressed by this. <laughs> he would say, son, I don't pay for the lights to shine when there's no one here to see by them. <laughs> Turn them off. The whole point of having light is it does what light does. And there's the desire of the lampstand that says, man, not only is this thing unstoppable, but I want it to be seen. 
have a fervent desire for the light to do what it does. Now, guys, contextually, that's a slam dunk. If Jesus lists two examples of the way this light is working and then says in the same way, go out and be light in that manner, then that's what he means. Go out in the full knowledge and boldness that says that because of his deity, the light will not be overcome and let it go do what it's going to do. And do so not out of some kind of weird obligation or I got a witness today or I'm going to be punished if I don't or I'm going to feel guilty if I don't, but because seeing light is awesome. Fair enough? I mean, that's it. That's what he's saying. When he says in the same way, the context demands that's what he's talking about. You say, okay, game, set, match, but he's not done. Because he gives you a specific application by which to accomplish those two things. A specific way that you get it done. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the means, the way that you shine in the same way out of Christ in you is through the the means of, of good works. Good works that accomplish a particular goal. At some point in time, and this is where it always gets difficult, because at some point in time you have to make the transition from that which is supernatural coming into a natural world. When Jesus Christ did it, we call it the virgin birth. Big deal. We are the light of the world by extension, folks. We don't do it at that level. But this is where it gets hard because something that is supernatural has to make the translation into a natural world without becoming a counterfeit by ceasing to be supernatural. And this is where it gets dangerous because humans and even what we often call the church today is they have perfected the art of counterfeiting what is supernatural in nature. And that can't, it can't happen. It has to move, it has to shine into the natural world without ceasing to be supernatural. You could look at a couple places here, and I think certainly First Peter would be one, but I think the best place to look is Philemon. And so if you're, you know, you just right there after Hebrews and before Hebrews and you'll find Philemon. You know the story of, of Philemon. Philemon is a, a rather wealthy, um, he's a rather wealthy um, Christian, and he, he had a slave named Onesimus who um, was not a believer and was a handful for him and wasn't any help to him, and he had ran away. And, and, um, and, and in the midst of that rebellion, he had been born again. And Paul... Um, has been very impressed by the evidence of the new creation in him, and he knows it's time for him to go home. And so he writes to Philemon about Onesimus, asking him to receive him back with the joy of a brother instead of the way that a runaway slave would have been responded to um, in the first century. And he writes and he says this in verse 4. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all his saints 
And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. So first of all, the thing that Paul says to this guy is, look, I know you're a Christian. And so we know that that plants you squarely in in the basket of being the light of the world. I know you're a Christian. I thank God for your faith. It needs to do something. The light of the world needs to go be light. So he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake. Literally, Paul says, Paul is giving an exhortation to go out and do practically what Jesus is telling us we are spiritually. He says, I know the faith is in you. I know Christ is in you. And so what I'm praying for is this, that when you share it, when you shine it, that it might be not just put out there so that you can say, hey, I did it. And I checked my evangelism box today. I told somebody about Jesus, but specifically so that when you do it, it will be effective and it will be effective for a full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. Now, what does he mean by good thing? What's that mean? He's, man, there is something in you. You are sharing. You are shining forth. And it needs to be effectual so people can know it. It needs to not just be information. It needs to be doxa. It needs to be glory. It needs to be the information that when it is transmitted and shown, it creates a response in others that says, yep, that's excellent. That's what it needs to do. So that they will know the good that is in us. Now look, he's not just talking about any good. Once again, humans are great at producing natural counterfeits of supernatural things. He says this is a very specific kind of good, that which is in us for the sake of Christ. Oh man, there's lots of social gospel out there. You can go to a lot of places... That'll, that'll, that'll half-heartedly sing a praise tune, give you a meal and, and a cup of water and pat you on the head and say, Jesus loves you. That actually don't do anything to convey the excellencies of God in Jesus Christ through what they're doing. But it makes you feel good about yourself because you did it. Guys, there's social gospel out there all over the place. And, and if you want to know, you say, well, how do you know when, because you don't want to be judgmental, right? I mean, we don't. And, 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 and man, sometimes, you know, maybe for whatever reason, it's not coming across. You, you want to know how to find out if it's social gospel that's going on? Join up with them for a little while and start speaking the gospel and see how nervous they get about it or whether they embrace it. Because, man, we've been there and done that. You get a line, I'll get a polls, not a worship song. Handing someone a plate dinner is not sharing the gospel with them. It may be wonderful for earning the opportunity to get to share the gospel. It may be great to, to show them kindness and mercy in a physical way so that you earn the credit to be heard. That's awesome. Just don't confuse the two. Jesus didn't. That's why the next day, after feeding the 25,000, he told them the only reason you come down here was for the fish and the bread and your belly's empty. 
You didn't really come for what it was supposed to bring you to. And what it was supposed to bring you to is me because in me is life and it shows you who God is in such a way that you can respond that he is excellent and be born again. Not everything we call good is good. In Mark chapter 10, verse 18, it says that as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And so what Paul is saying to Philemon is, I know it's in you and I'm praying for you so that when you share it, it will be actual light. It will be effective and it will cause people to understand the good things that are in us. Not good things according to the world's measure, but good things according to Christ's sake because he is the only one that's good. So we say all of this. Let's put it all back together, real simple. The light of the world that we are, that you and I and Mount Zion, the light of the world that the saints are, is the life of Christ in us, shining the excellencies of God into the world, but that by the works of God and not of man, John chapter 1 verse 13, men may recognize his excellence. And having recognized it, run to him, acknowledge him, say, this is now the thing that I have seen that is worthy to put my faith in. Because he is obviously faithful. Look how excellent he is. This is the one who I've finally seen that is worthy of laying my life down for and worthy of picking up my cross for. And having done that, so then to do the same thing that was done for them, that they may glorify and shine him by the same light of life that he has put in them. That's what light of the world evangelism looks like. It is Jesus Christ centric from top to bottom. And it may have all sorts of things attached to it. Man, you, you, it, it may have a plate lunch attached to it. It may have a well in Haiti attached to it. It may have the fact that you need new, new shoes because the, the blessed feet that bring good news have been walking so much to bring good news that there's no souls left on their shoes. It may have all sorts of things attached to it, but it is Christ, 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 Christ in order that the excellency of God may seen, be seen and men may glory in him. Man, that's what light of the world evangelism looks like. I, I had a call this week and the question was asked, I have a friend who knows about the gospel, but he doesn't know Christ. And he's sick. And, and, and we've, talked about, we've talked about the gospel before, but, you know, humans, we know what the scripture says, right? That your life is a vapor and a mist, and it's here one minute and gone the next. And, and um, we know that it's appointed once for a man to die, and we'll make statements like, you know, um, yeah, you may make it home before I do. But the reality is, is we have some expectancy in the flesh, you know. And um, whether we should or shouldn't, it's a sermon for a different day, but we do have some expectancy in the flesh. And the fact of the matter is, is seeing how some old boys appointed time, maybe 30 seconds from now, really our urgency for the gospel ought to be that way all the time. But I got to confess to you, mine's not. I wish it was. 
but it's not. But anyway, different sermon. And so the question was asked specifically, it's not like this guy's ignorant. He has some church, you know, that kind of sometimes it's just enough to inoculate you kind of a deal. How do you share the gospel with someone in this position that is more gospel than just, well, hey, listen, man, you're sick and you don't want to go to hell if you die, do you? And that's a great question. And I think this is exactly what the light of the world speaks to. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Judgment is part and partial to the gospel. In Mark chapter 9, verse 47 through 48, Jesus says, If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm never does not die and their fire is not quenched. So, man, judgment is part and partial to the gospel, but it has a particular place. And it has a place in producing a fear of the Lord that is specifically concerning conviction. That's where it's at. And friend, if you have not been redeemed, then you need to be concerned with hell and you need to be fearful of him who will destroy you there. But the fear of hell has no place in the desires of the redeemed for why they desire Christ. That's the point of the redemption. That's the point. He took it. It is gone. And there is no more fear. Now there's fear of God. But there's no fear of eternal judgment in Him for those that belong to Him. Friend, what I mean by this, it looks like this. If you get somebody and say, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Well, man, you know, I don't know if this Jesus thing is for sure or not, but I, I figured it's better to sign up in, in case it's real as, as, as not in case it is. Friends, that is not salvation. I mean, and and I, we can show you that's not salvation. If you think that Jesus Christ is your, you know, get out of jail free card, and and and, and it's it's not that you have any love for Him; it's just you love what He might do for you. That is not the evidence of the new creation. Now, look, there's a point in time when judgment is hanging over in you in conviction that that's a very real thing, and that's fine. But let's just know where we put it. You say, well, why is it important? Isn't that doctrinal nitpicking? No, it's not. Because when you're talking to somebody, and it happens a lot in this country, and it happens a lot in the Bible Belt, and you're talking to somebody, and they confess to you that, well, you know, why why do you love Christ? Well, I don't want to go to hell. Whoa. I mean, we've been down this path before, and I won't do it this morning, but that is is tantamount to, to, to somebody asking me why I love Sarah and says, because she makes me good scrambled eggs. That is not an appropriate answer. So, so don't get me wrong, judgment has everything to do with the gospel, but we just need to keep it where it belongs, and that's in conviction. It is not the sustaining reality of the new creation after justification. Then it is glory and love and, and life in Christ as we are being conformed to his image. And I assure you, Jesus Christ has no fear of hell whatsoever. So how do you do it? How do you do it? You have to show them in a way that's effective how excellent Christ is. 
And buddy, that can be overwhelming. I know it's overwhelming, and here's what you do. I said this thing is Christ from front to back. It's Christ on the front end. It's Christ on the back end, man. It's Romans chapter 10. Blessed are the feet that bring good news. How, how, will they, how will they believe unless they've heard? And how will they hear unless someone goes preaching? And Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word, not of the preacher, but of Christ. And the, the reason that, I've, that we've been focused so much on, on this is Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory is because the things that are being required of you to be the salt of the earth and the things that are being required to you to be the light of the world are things that you cannot do. And so it has to be him and us. Or it's a failed mission from the get-go. It has to be him and us. It has to be him that is shining what is supernatural into the natural world in a way that it doesn't become a counterfeit but remains supernatural. You have to show them Christ is excellent. You have to show them that from front to back, you've got to show them that Christ was excellent in the creation when it wasn't just a spoken word that said, let there be light, but it was with his own hands that Christ was forming this existence as we know it. And even now, he's holding it into its being. you got to show him that he's excellent in the promise that after the fall of man, and it seemed like all hope was lost, that the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent is excellent. You have to show them that that's worth looking to. You've got to show them that even in hard things, like the judgment of the whole world by the flood, that the mercy of God was still excellent in setting apart Noah and his family, that you and I could eventually spring forth. You have to show him the excellence of King David with a sword in one hand and a liar in the other, slaughtering Philistines that were, the image, that were the enemies of God and writing the Psalms. You have to show them the excellencies of the Babylonian captivity that finally, once and for all, broke off the rampant idolatry from the children of Jacob. You've got to show them how awesome the virgin birth was when Jesus Christ, having never known anything that was apart from the glory of the Father, condescended to come down to this filthy hole in order to be able to save people like the person that you're talking to. You have to show them the excellence of Jesus healing lepers that other people wouldn't even walk down the same side of the street with. Saving a Samaritan woman that no Jew would talk to. You have to show them the excellence of Jesus Christ clearing out the temple when it was necessary out of zeal for his father's house. You've got to show them the excellencies of Christ bringing the children to him when the adults said that he was too busy. You've got to show them the excellencies of him dying for their propitiation and shedding his blood. Raised in victory because this is the one that the grave could not defeat and that he is returning in triumph for his people. And when he does, it will not be the likeness of the image of the glory of God that Ezekiel saw, but it'll be the excellencies of God himself. That's what you show him. It's so much more than you don't want to go to hell, do you? You've got to show him the excellencies of him knowing his people from before the foundation of the world. Because let me tell you, the guy that's under conviction 
And the guy that's fearful for the imminency of his own life is second-guessing everything he's done. And there is a very particular kind of desperation that comes with feeling overwhelmed that says the counts are so high I can never address them. You say, you know what? You can't, buddy, but he can. You have to show him he's excellent. That's how you be the light of the world. And you do it by the power of Christ that is excellently in you. And so one last time, and I'm done in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Except for this time, I want to continue from verse 5 all the way to verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, because what's being required of you in proclaiming you cannot do. But Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I think it's really interesting that Jesus speaks about the nature of a lamp in its stand. There's four or five of them lamps that he would have been referencing sitting back there in that, uh, in that library, and they're all made out of terracotta. They're all clay, and they are not the light, but they can contain it. Particularly, even more interesting to me is what he says about the nature of a city set on a hill. To some extent, it's true even today. It was particularly true then. You know why a city on the side of a hill couldn't be hidden? It wasn't because of Times Square with the big billboards and the searchlights. It was because of thousands upon thousands of individual lamps and individual fires. They had no street lights. As we understand them, they had no power. It was a whole bunch of lamps, a whole bunch of watch fires, and a whole bunch of torches all put in their bracket, all set on their stand, knowing full well that the light would be seen. And why wouldn't you want it to be? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Jesus described it. Paul was doing it. He was praying for Philemon to be able to do it. So that the life that is the light of the world that has been placed in us may do what it was called forth to do and shine forth the excellencies of God to men who could not otherwise see it in order that they would, that they would be in agreement with his excellencies. And therefore, 
obtain to the glory of Christ in them. And the cycle starts over and over and over, and it's been doing it now on for 2,000 years. Doesn't need gimmicks, doesn't need a social gospel. It works, it will be seen. You are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine so that by your good works, they may see and give glory to God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.